Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Hey, I just need to let you know right off the bat, it's picnic day. I know I sent an email out yesterday that said, wear whatever you feel comfortable wearing to the picnic. So I need to let you know the favor my wife did for all you guys, because I was set on that Columbine wrestling singlet that I showed you a couple, <laughs> couple weeks ago. And she nixed that. And so all that said, will, will you open in prayer with me? And <laughs> yeah, we got applause. We got applause, honey. Um, let's open in prayer so we can get that image out of our minds real quick. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for today, for the opportunity for us to be together. And Lord, there is not a word of your word that we can even grasp, fathom, comprehend any of it unless your Holy Spirit illuminates it for us. And so we ask that right now, this moment. Whatever is going on in our lives, we ask that the noise of that, you would turn that down and let us focus on you and your word this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to read. You guys just saw it on the video, but let me read this real quick. The most high is sovereign over, and what's that word there right after over? All. All. The most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to, and what's that word? Anyone. And he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you agree with what you see on the screen right now? And here's what I don't want from you. I, I don't want because you're in church, you feel like you got to say yes, and so you're nodding your head yes. But, but just think about it for a moment. Do you believe that the Most High God is sovereign over all, all the kingdoms of earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes? See, that's hard, isn't it? If you really want to know where you land with it, I want you to just think back for a minute. Just do a quick individual exercise. Think back over the last year and a half at what most of the time has been stirring and going on inside of you. Or if you're really brave, you can ask somebody who's close with you. But I'm guessing we all have some kind of a picture of where we land with that statement, don't we? This one's been hard for me. Because, you know, 20, 2019, just when it comes to the church, I became the, the senior pastor here, and we had established this mission that said connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus. And, and things were great, and they were smooth for a year, just over a year, and then there was this pandemic. And this whole idea of connect, connect, connect suddenly got thrown up in the air a little bit. And we were all looking at each other going, what is, what is that? look like? And what is going on right now? See, it's tough. And, and we had people who agreed with decisions that were made, and we had people who disagreed with decisions that were made. And um, they happened to let me know about it, which is great. That's fine. Um, we had people we lost during the pandemic, not necessarily COVID-related, but people that we just are no longer with us. And it caused me to look around, and I went... God, this wasn't really the plan. See, that's hard, isn't it? Because we all have those things in life where you've got your hopes up and you've got your plans and then something comes along and you go, God, are you really in control? Do you really have the power that your word says you have? Do you really have the authority over all that's in front of us right now? That's hard. And I think the two, the two words that make it really, really hard are the two words that we paused on as we read this. All. All. 
Because there are some areas that we look around, or maybe some kingdoms of this earth that we look around, and it's hard to feel like he's really sovereign over all, doesn't it? I mean, students, you you looked at your class schedule and you went, have you seen my class schedule, Lord? I, I start here and I have to go all the way to the farthest opposite corner of the school building in five minutes. You sovereign over that? I mean, have you, have you had that class, Lord? Have you had that teacher? Hey, Lord, do you work at my workplace? Lord, have you seen our neighbor's situation? Have you seen our nation? Have you seen our economy? And I'll even give you permission to ask this, because maybe you have. Have you seen our church? What is wrong with our pastor, right? <laughs> or maybe this week. It got real serious for all of us. Lord, are, are you watching Afghanistan right now? I mean, are you sovereign as we watch all that we're watching right now? And the second word that makes it hard is that word, anyone. Anyone, because wherever you go, isn't it just true that we like to think we know best? We like to think we know best, don't we? I mean, everywhere you go, if you see somebody in charge or the leader, you tend to think, not only would I do it different, I would do it better. They just got to ask me. They just got to ask, right? See, all and anyone, those are difficult parts of this this passage, aren't they? And yet, as I think about this theme of this this series of weeks we're in, life verses, I I think God just, he's had me here and he's had me in this passage because I just keep coming back to it. And it's a reminder that when I can anchor this, and when you and I can anchor this passage, if it could just settle into our hearts, you know what? Things would be different. Things within us would be different. And there would be an experience of the kind of life that Jesus talked about when Jesus showed up and he said, I have come that they would have life and have life to the fullest, to have abundant life. And so this morning, I want to I tell you a story. And it's actually a, a few stories. It's one ongoing story. It comes out of Daniel chapters 4, 5, and 6. And the reason I want to tell you those accounts, and and we're not going to read every single word of it, and I will be the first to admit there are about 30 sermons in those three chapters at least. But as you look at the stories of these three pagan kings, there's this one thing that keeps coming up, and it's the thing that we've got to get clear on, that the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. And rather than do that through maybe his people, I mean, here's the deal. God had basically put his people in a timeout. They'd been disobedient, and for for 70 years, they went into captivity. They had left their homeland, and they ended up in Babylon. And the king at the time is King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, again, this pagan Babylonian king, and the Babylonians believed that Marduk, Marduk was the god of the Babylonians. They believed that he ruled all things and that this Jewish god was dead. That he had somehow, he had somehow succumbed to the mighty forces of the Babylonians. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, when you get to Daniel chapter 4, he is on his throne and, and we know a little bit about him from the first few chapters of Daniel. But in Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. And and if you don't know or if you don't remember the dream, um, I'll I'll recap it for you a little bit. He has this dream of a tree. In fact, here's what he says before we even describe the dream. Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. 
As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. And what he had dreamed is there was this, this huge, enormous tree. Its branches reached the, the top of the heavens, and they spread out all over the earth, and, and um, animals and livestock, they would come, and they would graze under this tree. And as they're, as they're grazing under this tree, there's this voice that announces, cut down the tree and put a chain around it and drag it away. And Nebuchadnezzar, he, he wakes up terrified. And so he calls all these wise men from within his kingdom, and nobody can interpret the dream. Finally, Daniel, one of the Jewish exiles, is brought in. Daniel, who's, who's in the palace. And he brings Daniel in. And Daniel interprets the dream for him. And he interprets the, the dream starting from just before you hear this voice in verse 17. that said, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes, and sets over them the lowliest of people. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar is telling Daniel this dream, it's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar goes from not feeling so fearful anymore, and suddenly Daniel is fearful. Daniel's hearing it. And soon Nebuchadnezzar is comforting Daniel. And he's saying, Nebuchad or, Daniel, it's going to be okay. And Daniel says, no, it's not, because you're the tree. I mean, have you ever had somebody tell you they had a dream that you were in? That's usually when I say stop, I don't want to hear it because of this account right here. I don't want to hear it at all. Daniel responds, verse 24 through 26. He says, this is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26, your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Do, do we think like that? Do we sit and we look at what's in front of us? Do we think to ourselves that heaven rules? See, this is part of why we talked about a month and a half ago about this rise of postmodernism. Because the rise of postmodernism, what it brought with it was a lack of dependence on God whatsoever. That, that train of thinking and that train of thought, you know what it says? It says, no, 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 I decide what is truth. I am, I am a self-sovereign. I rule me. And I rule the things around me. And this is where Nebuchadnezzar had gotten. Sure, we see it this day and age, but Daniel is listening to Nebuchadnezzar. He's watching Nebuchadnezzar. And he's saying, oh no, this dream was about you. And it's coming. Now, let me ask you something. Would a dream like this get your attention? If somebody came to you and they told you that they had this dream about you, would it get your attention a little bit? I mean, you'd like to think it would, and yet Nebuchadnezzar completely forgot. Listen to what happens. Twelve months later, verse 29, twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And you hear this and you just think, oh no, oh no, this, this is going to go bad. 
This is going to go real bad. But see, right here, if I could pause here, right here where King Nebuchadnezzar is at is where we get to. Because we look out there and we get so, we, we, we overemphasize ourselves so much that we think we know what needs to happen. We think we know what needs to take place right in front of us. I mean, most of us don't need palaces, do we, to arrive in this place. I mean, this is how I get when I finish Legos with our son. Right? Have you ever, any Lego fans in here? Come on. Okay, yeah, you get done with Legos and you stand back and it's like, look at that. That's incredible. Am I not just the greatest? You know, Lincoln leaves and he's doing something else. I'm walking around the coffee table like, I'm incredible. This is amazing. <laughs> Nobody could have done this without me. I FaceTime my wife at work while she's, a, she's doing her nursing job. Honey, look at this. Look at this uh, creation I made. Am I not just the greatest husband, the greatest dad, the greatest lawn guy, the greatest neighbor? Am I not just great? See, this is, this is what we do. This is what we get to. The passage goes on. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Are you hearing a theme here? At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I listened to this out of the mouth of a pagan king that wasn't even one of the exiles from the Jewish homeland, a pagan Babylonian king who thought he was the supreme ruler. <clears throat> then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, and we've all done this, what have you done? Have you asked that lately? God, what have you done? And we planned like the most perfect Christmas Eve service, and you let the fire alarm go off. You remember that? Some of you were here. It happened. And we had people set up for the picnic, and you tried to flood the earth last night. <laughs> we established a new mission as a church. We were getting into it, and you allowed a pandemic. God, what have you done? Are you not for us? Are you not on our side? And Nebuchadnezzar goes, no, no, I've learned. You don't say that. You don't say that. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And nobody needs any help understanding that, do we? Now, that's Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, who thought he was untouchable, that Babylon could never be breached, is brought to the acknowledgement that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, without going into a huge history lesson, about 40 years go by, and there are a few changes in, in the kingdom there. But eventually, there's a man named Belshazzar. Belshazzar, who's thought to be a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, he arrives at the throne of Babylon. 
and he's king. So it's King Belshazzar. And while all this is going on, Cyrus of Persia is growing in strength and in power, and his armies are starting to sweep across the lands, and they're starting to conquer, and they're starting to take over. Well, one night, Cyrus and his armies have surrounded Babylon. And while they've surrounded Babylon, King Belshazzar, and some of you know this account because you grew up and you've heard this in Sunday school, but while Cyrus and his armies have surrounded the, the kingdom of Babylon, Belshazzar is throwing a party inside the palace. He's throwing a party. And the way feasts worked, worked at that time is that the kings would bring in the idols of all the nations they had defeated. And so they'd bring it all into the room, and while everybody's feasting, they would, they would just parade these things around. And, and, and here's a statue to one defeated nation, and here's a statue to another defeated nation. But as he looked around, he realized there wasn't a statue for the Jewish God, the one that he thought he and his people had conquered. And so what he did is he grabbed, he grabbed the different uh, utensils and cups and dishes and silverware that Nebuchadnezzar had grabbed from the treasury of the Jewish people. And they put it out on the tables as if to say that this represents the Jewish God serving a meal to Marduk, our God. And as they're partying away, here's what, here's what we read in Daniel chapter 5, verse 4. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And in verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. If you've ever used the phrase, the handwriting on the wall, that's this right here. This is where this came from. Near the lampstand in the royal palace, the king watched the hand as it wrote. And we actually, from theologians and historians, have an actual picture of what that hand looked like. We'll put it up on the screen right now. There it is. <laughs> that is exactly the hand that wrote on the wall, except not at all. I totally made that up. I really hope you didn't take me seriously there. If anything, that hand meant the exact opposite of this hamburger helper hand. Because this was the hand of judgment. And as Belshazzar watched, as we read in Daniel, his knees began to knock together. And as they tried to read the, what, what the fingers had, had inscribed on the wall, nobody could read it. Verse 6, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. And once again, nobody in the kingdom could interpret this. And the queen finally came forward and she said, there is one man, there is one man who interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And it was decades ago. By now, Daniel is near his, he's in his 70s. And so they summoned in Daniel. And I have to think that Daniel, this is, he's remembering like, oh, here we go again. Here we go again. And, and King Belshazzar says, if you can interpret this, I will make you the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Here is Daniel's response. Then Daniel answered the king, <clears throat> verse 17, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. You know why he said that? Because Daniel knew this kingdom can't stand because the most high God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Daniel understood that. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. 
Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the most high God, here it is decades later, and Daniel's still saying it, the most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. He's looking at the king, he's pleading with him, saying, you had the example. You knew and you ignored it. You somehow, while Nebuchadnezzar overemphasized himself, Belshazzar, you have underemphasized the God who's really sovereign and in control right now. But you, Belshazzar, verse 22, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. See, for Nebuchadnezzar, the issue was he overemphasized himself. And that's what we do, don't we? Uh, we can forget. We can get so caught up in thinking, me and God, we see the right way and this is how it should be done. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get, we get all fired up. Or we can have Belshazzar's problem where we underemphasize what the holy God of all creation is up to. Do you remember the worst trouble you ever were in as a kid? What is the one thing you could do that would get your, your parents' attention quick? Some of you know this. Come on, you know this. It's when you use their name. When you use their name. Any of you have that? I'm not talking about now. You know, some of you, as you become adults, you can call your parents by their name. But I did not call David and Luetta Harrison David and Luetta as a kid. You just didn't do it. I mean, it was terrifying. And so, this is not too long ago. I'm on the phone, and Lincoln, our seven-year-old, um, he's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. You know, family guy, that, that uh, Lois clip over and over? Lincoln's just like, Dad, 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 Dad. I'm on the phone. Dad, Dad, Dad. Keeps going. I was like, Lincoln, do you see this thing up to my ear? I'm talking. Hey, just a minute. He walks off, comes back like two minutes later. Hey, Nathan. <laughs> and I don't know what the person on the other end of the phone said anymore. I mean, the phone was, was on the floor, and I was like, run, just run, Lincoln. <laughs> see, that's kind of what's happening here, but to a much worse degree. Because Belshazzar has absolutely minimized the most high God who is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth. Daniel now turns to the wall. And here's what he has to say. Therefore, sorry, let me back up. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. Many, many, tekel, parson. Here is what these words mean, Belshazzar. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That is, you thought you were in charge, but there's one who is in charge. 
Verse 27, tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. You haven't measured up. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that very night, if you're a student of history, you know that the Persians, they're in 539. What they did is they rerouted the Euphrates River, and as the river dropped down, they were able to get under the walls of the city. And they were able to get in, and they were able to open the gates. And Babylon, that nobody thought could ever be breached, was breached. That very night, the Persians got in, and they put Belshazzar to death. And for Nebuchadnezzar, and for Belshazzar, they learned a hard lesson. That the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. So at this point, the end of Daniel 5 tells us about a third king who's going to take the throne. And you can imagine the lesson that's coming, right? Darius the Mede takes the throne, and he's, he's really like a co-regent of Cyrus the Persian. These are Persian kings, and Darius takes the throne in Babylon. He's ruling while Cyrus is out um, taking care of and conquering other provinces. And Darius the Mede sets up his kingdom, and he's so impressed with Daniel that he decides to make Daniel one of the administrators who oversees over 120 satraps. These are like governors of different provinces. And so he puts Daniel way high up in, in the order of the kingdom. And as all these 120 satraps see all this, they begin to get a plan together because they don't like this. They don't like that one of the exiles has been appointed over them. And so they get a plan together. And they go to Darius the Mede and they say to him, King, we propose that you would issue a decree that anybody who prays to anybody but you, that they ought to be thrown in the, di- the lion's den. And, I, and we think you should make this decree permanent. And I don't know what was going on in Darius. I mean, there was a love and an appreciation for Daniel. But verse, verse 8 and 9 are so puzzling to me as I come across Daniel chapter 6 because he lost sight. He lost sight. And for Darius, the issue wasn't overemphasis of himself or underemphasizing God. It was something else. Listen to this, verse 8. Now, your majesty, this is all the, the people with the plan speaking, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. In verse 9, just like that, so King Darius put the decree in writing. See, for Nebuchadnezzar, it took a pretty bold move to get himself in a bad position. And for Belshazzar, it took a pretty bold move to get himself in a bad position. But Darius, this seems like nothing, but it put him in a bad position. You want to know what Darius's issue was? And it's the issue we get sometimes. We overemphasize people. I don't mean connecting with people like our mission says, but we can get so focused on what the news headlines say is happening. We can get so focused on what other people do that we don't agree with. And what happens is rather than coming with God's heart and thinking about them with God's heart, we're just just angry. And the joy leaves us. Last year and a half should have shown us that. And I have to think that as King Darius walked away, that the thought may have come up just by virtue of being human. What have I just done? What have I just done? Verse 10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, I love this, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. 
Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. See, a rule wasn't going to stop Daniel. It wasn't going to stop him. Because throughout his life, think about this, as a teenager, Daniel saw how God gave the Jews over into captivity. And yet how God had sustained the Jews. And how God had taught Nebuchadnezzar a lesson for all the living to know. And he had taught Belshazzar a lesson for all the living to know. And so Daniel did the first thing that any of us ought to do. Is to go back to the holy God, to the most high God who is sovereign over all things. Well, the guys with the plan, they catch Daniel praying. And you can imagine what happens. They bring him to the king. And because of the decree that King Darius had agreed not to repeal, Daniel is sentenced to the lion's den. He's sentenced to the lion's den. And listen to what happens inside of Darius. Verse 18, after sentencing Daniel, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. You been there? Have you been there? Whether it's a news headline, it's, it's somebody, you know, somebody that you're dealing with relationally, it's just the goings-on all around you, where we get so caught up in people. You know, maybe for you it's not emphasizing yourself or under-emphasizing God. You're just so focused. You're so focused on what people right here are doing that this isn't even existent. Or it's like this big. Yeah, we all do that, don't we? See, what happens is we come to church and we, we read about and we talk about these, these biblical heroes like Moses and David and Gideon and, and the disciples. And, and then what happens is we get around people and we can cower, can't we? And we can get scared. I, I was reading this article about Facebook had to shut down two of its, its artificial intelligence robots because they began to influence each other. And what happened was they, they just hadn't put a simple rule in place to speak English with one another. So what happened is the two robots began to communicate and they started branching into other languages that the people at Facebook went, we don't know what they're saying right now. And they're brilliant. And what are they planning? And this is what happens to us. You don't, you don't have to be a robot to have that happen because we can influence each other, can't we? And we can get off track. And we can get taken off course, can't we? because we get too focused on one another. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, excuse me, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And all he heard was a lion's belch because it ate Daniel. No, I'm just kidding. That didn't happen. Um, (laughs) Daniel answered with excitement, may the king live forever. My God, my God sent me, excuse me, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. In other words, I've just been snuggling, just snuggling with the lions with all my new kitty friends in here. And the king, overjoyed, has the accusers of Daniel placed in the lion's den, where we read their bones were crushed. And from there, he issued a decree to all 
that were in that area in the province of Babylon. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. Sound familiar? The most high God is sovereign. He is in control. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now, the thing I'm so struck by, by all of this, is just the positioning taking place here. Here you've got three pagan kings over 70 years. And what's so interesting is they're all brought to the exact same lesson, the verse that we started with. And they're all brought to the sovereignty of the one true holy and living God. But what I love about all of it is that there's one person that is positioned all the way through it. Who? Daniel. Daniel. Daniel who was in the palace. Daniel who was a servant there. Daniel who interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Daniel who who interpreted the writing on the wall. Daniel who's thrown in the lion's den. He's perfectly, perfectly positioned so that when a fourth king showed up, Cyrus, the historian Josephus tells us that it was very likely Daniel who was able to show Cyrus the prophecies in the Bible about him over 30 times Cyrus has mentioned. And they believe that it was Daniel who strongly influenced Cyrus to release the Jews from their captivity after 70 years. In fact, listen to these words out of Cyrus' mouth at the end of 2 Chronicles. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord their God be with them. And you know what's so crazy? You know what never had to happen? God never had to have one of his people, the Jewish exiles, on the throne. He never had to have them there. He didn't. All he needed was to put one in position. One who he knew had his heart. That was all he had to do. And I love how Daniel chapter 6 ends. Verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And I would argue during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar as well. See, isn't that a much different way of walking through all that we've walked through than maybe the way we've walked through it? Because we get all cranked up because maybe we overemphasize ourselves, underemphasize God, wonder if he's even in the picture, or we overemphasize other people. And yet, what is Daniel doing three times a day? He's on his knees saying, Lord, I just, I have you on the throne. You are the one on the throne to me over and over and over again. And what three kings had to learn maybe the hard way, harder way, Daniel didn't have to learn the hard way because he was perfectly, perfectly, perfectly positioned to do what his heavenly father asked of him. See, those that put God on the throne, he puts in position. God puts in position those who put him on the throne of their hearts. And for Daniel, it was three times a day and all eyes on him. You know what it is for you if you've never done it? 
It's right there. We point at it every single week at the cross. That's where you put him on the throne. And you say, okay, I'm letting go of my sovereignty. I'm letting go of my need for control. And so with that in mind, I just want you to write three words. And as the worship team comes back up, three words for you real quick. The first is steadfast. The three words are steadfast, vigilant, humble. As we, as we read through these stories, as we listen to this account, as we look at that passage that just you see echoed over and over and over, steadfast should be what marks us. But see, we're, we're so moved by the slightest of things, aren't we? We're so moved, and we think if, if I don't do something or if they don't do something, it won't happen. I mean, remember laying in bed at night? This is for the children of the 80s, okay? You remember? It was like the Soviet Union. I remember worry, being worried about the Soviet Union. I had overheard the news, and then you get to the 90s, and suddenly it's Saddam Hussein, and I'm worried that Saddam Hussein's going to, like, show up at my doorstep. Then we progressed through the 90s, and as we even got into the 2000s, it was Al-Qaeda, and then it was, it was ISIS, and it was Baby Shark, and it was, it was all these different things. It's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's COVID. Can, can we all just take a breath? Sure, these are all incredibly serious issues. But, but our big zoomed out picture has to be that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth, and he has it. Second word, vigilant. Vigilant. You know what I love about Daniel is, is that, that episode with the handwriting on the wall, he saw it through all things. Many, many, Tekel Parson. Daniel understood from Daniel chapter 1 that God gives and, and we're accountable. God gives and we're accountable to it. And you know what's between the lines of that inscription on the wall? Is that we all fall short and we all need a savior. And so let us be vigilant to share that with those we encounter. And finally, prayerful. Prayerful. Do you want to know what prayerful is? Prayer is a front row seat to the sovereignty of God. Prayer is a front row seat to the sovereignty of God. That when you spend time there, you begin to interpret the news headlines differently. You begin to interpret whatever is said to you differently. You begin to interpret all of it differently. And sometimes it looks like, as we talked about two weeks ago, Jacob wrestling God. Other times it looks like Joshua face down on the ground, having it out with God. And sometimes it looks like Daniel prioritizing his God. But what comes out of that prayer time? What comes out of that prayer time is the absolute best thing to do with your life. And we'll dive into that next week. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who is so patient with us that when we get all amped up about everything going on in front of us, you remind us of your word. You remind us of your character, that you are the most high God who is sovereign over all kingdoms of earth and you do give them to anyone you wish. And so Lord, give us hearts to be steadfast, to be vigilant and to be prayerful so that we may see and understand our position with a front row seat to your sovereignty and all you are up to. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.